Good morning, I'm Stephen, I'm the pastor here, and uh, so last week, Lent was all about relationships, so how'd that go for you? Did you get to see God? I ended up um, adopting this thought of um, every time I met with someone, I asked myself afterwards, what can I learn about God through this person, or what is God doing in this person's life? And um, so just give me a, give you a couple of highlights. On Monday, I got to the office and I had on my desk a table, not a desk, a table, um, this, it was a letter of encouragement um, to me and it was awesome because as I read through this letter, the voice of Jesus kind of took over and I felt like Jesus was saying to me, hey Stephen, look, I know what you're going through right now. I know some of the difficulties, and I just want you to know that in the midst of your struggles, I also see and I'm celebrating the good that you're doing. And this letter was such a gift. Um, and so, uh, and then my Lent week kind of ended on Friday. I mean, it was also yesterday, but on Friday, there was another highlight because um, with a server at a restaurant, and this is uh, a place I've gone to, I don't know, three or four times a year, um, and I've seen this guy, and... Um, and I've just sort of chit-chatted with him, you know, nothing deep, just sort of been friendly, and he kind of recognized me, I recognized him. And, um, and so on Friday, I don't know, I just said, so, how's your life? <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, well, my best friend just died two days ago, and I'm going to the funeral tomorrow. And I was like, oh, man, like, what do I do here? And, um, and I didn't want to get... You know, like sometimes I think, well, let me tell him I'm a pastor, but I don't want to get preachy on him. You know, I wasn't sure exactly where he was at. And so I just started asking him more about his friend and I just asked him what his part was going to be to play in, or not play, but like what, what part he was going to have in the, in the memorial service. And, um, and he just said, you know, I haven't slept for five days. And uh, he said, man, I just, I feel so lost. And I thought, okay, God, all right, okay, I got it, I got it. And so I said, listen, um, I'm a pastor, and part of what I do is I help people on their spiritual journeys, um, and I'd love to, I don't know, it, you know, I don't want to push myself on you or tell you what to believe or anything like that, but if there's anything I can do to help, um, I would love to spend more time with you. And so he, so when he gets back, we're going to have coffee, and we're going to talk some more, and again, I just thought, what an amazing gift um, that relationships are. You know, sometimes we're on the receiving end and sometimes we get to be on the giving end and both of those are blessings from God. And I really, I want to, I said this last week, I'm going to say it again, um, I don't think I would have experienced God on the pathway of relationships without our Lent, you know, without us focusing on this and talking about it. And so, because um, there were things, like I have meetings all the time and I talk to people a lot, but this last week, because we were focused on it, because I was asking the question, God, what are you doing in these people's lives? God, what do you have to teach me? It went to another level. And so I want to encourage you to join us this Lent. You know, join us for the rest of Lent. And we're trying to connect to God through different pathways um, as we walk toward Easter. So again, last week was relationships. Today, we're going to talk about creation. Okay, we're going to talk about seeking God, our maker, through what he has made. Okay, that's where we're going today. And so um, this week, this week I want all of you to connect to God in creation, and I want you to commune with God through creation. Okay, that's what I want to have for all of us this week. 
Um, and, and I'm sensitive, like I'm sensitive because I know that sometimes just using the word creation itself can trigger people. It can set off sort of a war that's out there between science and the Bible. You know, are, are they allies or are they enemies, right? It feels like sometimes a lot of people feel like um, science and the Bible don't go together, but um, the Bible actually teaches us that we should love science, and that we should use science so that we can know God better. And so arguments about the age of the earth, arguments about evolution or not evolution, they can be a distraction from us or for us, and they can actually keep us from connecting to God through creation. And so um, also I think in this realm, just sort of get us in the sort of like dip our toes in the water here, um, artists, right? Think about artists. Artists reveal themselves often in their work. And in the same way, God also reveals himself through the world that he's created. Um, one particular artist that I've talked about, it's been a while, but um, his name is Mako Fujimura. And um, he created this painting. It's called Water and Flame. And this painting is his summary of the entire gospel of Mark. So this is his visual expression of the gospel of Mark. And he talks about this in a video that we'll share with you this week, if we, if we have your email address. Um, and he talks about he, how he used 70 layers of paint in this one painting to create what he calls a refractive prismatic reality, um, which sounds really cool. But I mean, just to look at this and to know that this is the gospel of Mark, it's called water and flame. Like these 70 layers, again, he talks about this. They reflect Mako's approach and his understanding of life that through the layers of death and of resurrection, we become more richly what God wants us to be that there's depth and layers and meaning underneath the surface. Sometimes things that we never ever see, but sometimes we can feel the texture that those experiences that we've had create. And so, um, so in the same way, God is an artist who reveals himself through what he's made. And we, we right now today, we have the chance to know God better by seeing him in creation. And so during this week of Lent, I want all of you, I want all of you to connect to God in creation and commune with God through creation. That's the goal. That's the goal. And so first, um, let's talk about what does it mean to connect to God in creation. Um, Psalm 19 is a great place for us to start. The whole Bible has things about how to understand the world, how to understand what God has made. Psalm 19 is a really wonderful place to begin our understanding about the world that we live in. So we're going to read verses 1 through 4. They're in your bulletin. They're also going to be up on the screens. Um, and so this is what Psalm 19 says. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. And so this psalm is this poetic and musical reflection on the world. Um, and it says the world actually reveals God. Right? The heavens, the sky, day and night. These things reveal who God is because of what he's done. All the earth to the end of the world is a manifestation of the one who made it all. 
And so again, God is an artist, and what he made shows who he is. This is a big deal. This is a big deal, and it reshapes the way that we think about the world that we live in. Um, you're going to walk out of here, and you're going to encounter a world that you are going to have the chance to be more alive to than when you walked in. I mean, it's that real. It's that practical for us. Um, we can see God's infinite power. Uh, we can see that creation is like his artist's portfolio. Okay, Romans 1 verse 20 says this, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. And so what we see connects us to who God is. Okay, everything that we see, observe, and test in creation is coated with God's fingerprints. Everything. Everything has God's fingerprints. And so this is one of those things where, like, I could stop right now and be done, and you would know the point of what I'm trying to get across. Okay, it's as simple as that. Like, I just want you to know that this world was designed by God to teach you what he's like. Okay, and so what you send you out there to go experience it, to see it, to taste it, to touch it, to walk in it, to listen to it. And yet, I think it's helpful for us to spend time looking at the Bible to see not just in general, but to look at some specifics. Okay, and what's most important, I think, first is to realize that. Um, is that God reveals himself in creation for a specific purpose. Okay, there's a purpose why God does this. Okay, and so the first point that we, that we saw is that, uh, God, that we're to connect to God in creation, but the point of this, it's so that we might, number two, commune with God through creation. Okay, we want to commune with God through creation. God's revelation, God's creation is designed for communion. It's designed so that you would have a relationship with God. Okay, and again, we see this in Psalm 19. Let's look again at these verses, and we'll highlight some other words in these verses. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. You see that? So declare, proclaim, speech, reveals knowledge, voice, and words. Creation is God talking to us. He's talking to us. He is inviting us into a relationship with him. That's the design. God wants us to know him. He wants us to have a relationship with him. And so all truth about God, everything that God reveals, whether it's in the Bible or it's in creation, all of it is designed to become personal. It's so that we would have this personal relationship with him. God wants us to know him better, wants us to see what he's like, wants us to know how he thinks and how he feels about things. We said this before, that our problem as human beings isn't that we don't have anything to be thankful for, it's oftentimes that we don't have anyone to be thankful to. 
And again, that's that sense that we know we have more than we need. We know that we have so much more when we look at the entire world, right? It could be so much worse for us. And what do we do with that? Well, God wants to invite us into a relationship where we can commune with him and be thankful to him. There's another song in the Bible. It's Psalm 8. And, um, and Psalm 8 shows us what a fitting response of communion with God looks like. In Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4, it says this. It says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? And so this is a fitting response. When you look at the sky, when you see what God has made, it is fitting for you to be humbled and grateful. I mean, God is so big. God is so big. He is big enough to have made the entire universe. And so we should be insignificant to him. I mean, how do you feel about the ants that are actually collected on the sidewalk in between the, the cafe space and the trash can? How do you feel about those? Oh, you didn't know they were there. Why? Well, because they're small and they're insignificant. And yet God, <laughs> like, why does God pay attention to us at all? And yet, like, so that's what it means to connect to God in creation, right? To see how big it is and to realize how small we are. We connect, to, we connect the bigness of the universe to the sense, the sense of, of God's presence. But God takes it a step further because he wants us not just to connect, but he wants us to commune with him. God cares for us personally. Personally. Um, Look what Jesus says in Matthew 10, verse 29 to 31. He says this. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? These are insignificant little birds. And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. He's talking about God. But even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So we're not insignificant to God. God cares about us. He personally wants us to know that he cares about us. So connecting this verse that Jesus talks about, guess what? The hairs of your head are designed by God for you to commune with him. So one of the reasons you have hair is because God wants you to commune with him. So, in the mornings, when you are doing your hair, some of you don't have a whole lot of hair. Some of you, it's going to be a stretch to find the hair so that you can practice this verse. Um, But when you're fixing your hair in the morning, remember that God cares about you so personally, he knows how many hairs are on your head. And it's not just because he knows everything but it's because he cares about you. Like, think about that. You're running stuff through your hair. It's like, wow, God knows that there are 8,622 hairs on my head. Why does he know that? 
because I'm, I'm his son or daughter. I'm his child, and he just cares that much. So <laughs> creation, we connect to God, and we commune with him. That's what we're aiming for. We're aiming to see God in creation and then commune with him. This is communion with God. So um, in the size of the universe, God is saying, look, I'm not just strong in general. I'm not just this gigantic, powerful thing out there, but I'm strong enough to save you. So again, it's connection and communion. Right? It's not just that God is super powerful, but he's strong enough to save you. He's strong enough to care for you. In the microscopic detail, in the nucleus of an atom, we see that God is not just this gigantically strong brute oaf, but he's a master craftsman. He cares about details. He's a careful sculptor. And he cares about all of the details of our lives. Don't think that anything that you're feeling is insignificant to him. He cares about all of it as a good father does. Now, seeing that God is so big and so powerful, it usually prompts the question, right? If God is this powerful and he cares about people this much, then why do earthquakes happen, right? Why do floods happen? Why do hurricanes cause so much suffering? Um, in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina in 2005, I went from Orange County with a team of people to go rebuild homes in Mississippi that were destroyed by the flood. And when I got there, I remember driving to where we were going to end up, and we were driving by the Home Depot and the hardware stores, and in their parking lots, their parking lots were filled with church buses and church vans. They were the, like, the only cars in the parking lot. Um, and later... We were rebuilding a home for someone, and I started talking to him. And the owner knew our team was from a church, and he said to me, why would God do this? Does he hate us? And I said, no, no, he doesn't hate you. If you want to know how God feels about the hurricane, look at his people. Look at what they're doing. They're the ones who have come to help. And so God's good world is deeply broken. And God cares so much that he has entered the world himself to save it in Jesus. And God continues to send his people into the disasters of the world to show that he cares and to show that he is working through people to make things right. And so the good that we see in the world tells us about God's wonderful design for life and for flourishing. The things that are bad and broken in the world are an opportunity for God to show his grace and his power and his desire to bring healing. So again, these are things that you want to see when you encounter uh, the world that God has made. These are the things the Bible tells us to think about so we can commune with God. Well, Psalm 8 goes on. Psalm 8 says more. It says this in verse 5. It says, yet. So, you know, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Verse 5, yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. 
You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And so even though we are small, we're not insignificant. In fact, the opposite is true. We are, God has given us incredible value. God crowns us with glory and honor. God wants your life to be glorious. He wants you Um, He wants you to shine with his love. He wants you to shine with his care. He wants you to shine with his wisdom. He wants you to make decisions and to lead. Lead yourself, lead the people around you um, to understand that he is with you. God wants you to be his presence on earth, caring for people, loving people, making things better, working hard, right? This is God's purpose for us as his image bearers. And we do this when we love God and we love others at home, at work, in our neighborhoods. This is God's design. So, um, so these are our first two points, right? We are to connect to God in creation. We're to commune with God through creation. And our final point then that we're going to look at today is how can we do this like this week, Right? How can this become incredibly practical? How do we connect and commune through creation this week? So I'm going to give you some thoughts. I'm going to give you some things that you can do this week, all right? First, I want you to look at the sun. I mean, not directly. (laughs) I just thought of that. The pastor said I should look at the sun. He had the Bible open, so, you know. No, come on. Be thinking here. Let's not be those kinds of... Okay, so <laughs> um, I bring up the sun because it's usually out every day in San Diego, something you can see every day, but also because Psalm 19 brings up the sun. In Psalm 19, verses 4 through 6, let's look at this. It says, it's in your bulletins, it says, In the heavens, God has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. This is a wonderfully poetic description of the sun. Right, The sunrise every morning is like the sun coming out from its slumber with the triumphant joy of a newly married man. That man then runs across the sky all day long, sharing his joy and his warmth with the world. This is beautiful. And the sun, the sun is a symbol of God whose presence is over all of us every day, who gives us warmth and light and life so that we might share in his joy. And so... Connect to God when you see the sun. You can do this when you wake up in the morning. Because even if you can't see the sun directly, it's light out, isn't it? Like your room has light in it that it didn't have that night because the sun is out. And so even as you turn over in your bed, you can say, hey, I see the sun. I see the effects of the sun. 
And then commune with God by remembering that God gives you the light of his word and the warmth of his love every day, including today. Now, when the sun isn't visible, the two or three days a year when the clouds come, um, you can connect to God even then, right? So this week, if we get any more rain, right, you can connect to God by remembering that, you know what, we actually do things sometimes in our own lives to block the presence of God, don't we? I mean, our sin gets in between us and God. There's times when we ignore him, times we don't want to hear from him. And so in some ways, the clouds are, again, another symbolic representation that sometimes we do things that disrupt our relationship with God. Uh, but God is always there behind the veil. God never stops providing for us. He never stops caring for us, even when we can't see him. So, first, look at the sun. Second, connect and commune with God through the rain. So, you're going to have to think about last week, because it's probably not going to rain again this year. Matthew chapter 5, let me give you verses 44 and 45. This is Jesus talking. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And so this passage connects God's rain or connects the rain to God's love and his grace. Right? Rain is something God provides from the heavens to make things grow. And it's an expression of God's love even for his enemies. God sends life-giving rain even on those who are unjust. Right? God continues to express his love as an invitation for them and for us to commune with him and to remember that he loves us. So when it rains, you can remember that God loves you that he loves the people that you know who don't love him back. Third, connect and commune with God through birds. Birds. We talked about the sparrows a little bit. We're going to dive in a little bit more. Matthew chapter 6, the Bible actually tells us, there's a verse that in Job, what is it, Job? I'm not going to show it to you because it's, it's, I could spend all day. Um, but uh, the Bible teaches us, that, or tells us that God teaches us through animals. Um, and so birds teach us that God provides for us through the work that we do. Okay, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So this doesn't mean that you can just sit around and like God's going to rain food down on you because that's not what birds do, right? They don't store into barns and, get, and have bank accounts or anything, but what do they do? They go out every day and work. <laughs> and God provides through their work. And so connecting with God through this part of creation means seeing that in the lives of birds, God provides for them through their work every day. So when you see a bird this week, be like, oh, right, God provides for them because they go out and they find food. Communing with God through this part of creation means realizing that God cares for you and will also provide for you through the work that you do. 
So I hope you're starting to see a pattern, right? You're starting to get the connections here because really I want you to learn how to think this way because if you can learn how to think this way, then the possibilities are endless, right? Everything becomes God speaking to you and God showing you more of this. And, and the other piece of this, this is where um, like Bible reading really helps is that the more of the Bible you know, the better these connections you can make, the more of these connections you can make, right? Now, you can Google search, hey, how does the Bible talk about fill in the blank? And you can probably get some verses, which would be a great thing to do this week. If you see something, you're like, I'm not really sure how that would connect. You can look it up. You can ask somebody else and do this with someone else. Um, but again, the, know you, the more you know the Bible, the more you can do this and the more accurate you'll be. Um, and so, next, fourth, um, we can connect and commune with God through the ocean. Through the ocean. So you can go to the beach this week. Because Jesus told you to. Um, Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 22. This is really interesting. It says, Do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Do you not tremble in my presence? For I have placed the sand as a boundary for the sea, an eternal decree so that it cannot cross over it. Though the waves toss, yet they cannot prevail. Though they roar, yet they cannot cross over it. So again, this is a poetic expression where the writer of Jeremiah has had this experience of standing at the beach watching the waves and watching them toss and turn and maybe watching the tumultuous seas when the storm hits. And yet every time the waves come up to the beach, they stop. And even though the tides roll in and the tides roll out, there's a limit. There's a limit. And so you can connect to the God who sets limits and boundaries in creation. And you can commune with God by remembering that his faithfulness to protect you uh, is true. That God keeps things from coming too much into your life. There's a promise that we see in the New Testament where God says, it says God is faithful and he won't let you, what does it say? It says he won't give you anything that's too much for you to handle. That's a really bad quote, sorry. But it's basically the point is that, um, that God is faithful. He won't let anything come into your life that's too much for you. So he sets limits and boundaries. And so you can set, you can stand and watch the waves at the beach this week. And just remember, you can stand as close or as far away as you want, and you can rejoice, and you can try to think, God, what have you protected me from? What have you kept me from having to endure? And just begin to thank him for it. Um, There's like a hundred things I want to share with you today about this. Um, Color is a reflection of God's extravagance. He didn't need to make color. What the heck? Like, he could have just made us all black and white, but he didn't because he's awesome, because he's, he's extravagant. The world is filled with things that we don't need, but we love, and they're beautiful. You can see trees as the earth straining and exerting itself to reach up into heaven and meet God, right? You can see mountains as hope that the earth and the heavens will someday come together, and we will dwell with God in a new heavens and earth where everything will be perfect, Right? When you see these things, you can think these things and then commune with the God who made these things. 
Um, and so sometimes this week you're going to see something out there and you're going to connect it to something that you remember in the Bible. Other times you're going to read the Bible and it's going to teach you what to see. And so I want to just give you like the, uh, the flip side of it. So if you read Genesis 1 this week with fresh eyes, right? If you read Genesis 1 this week, you'll see that in Genesis 1, the way that God made everything demonstrates some themes. There's some themes in the way God made things. First, there's order from chaos, right? In Genesis 1, it starts, the earth was formless and void and the dark and the deep, the waters covered the whole surface of the earth and God brought order out of chaos. And so wherever you see chaos, whether it's in your life, whether it's in the life of your friend, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in politics, whether, I mean, wherever you see chaos, commune with the God who from the beginning has brought order out of chaos, and he will do that in your life. Right? Second, you see in Genesis 1 that God made food to provide for everything that's alive. Right? He made the vegetation and the trees and the fruits and the animals so that we would have food to eat before he made us. And so God provides food. So when you see food, realize this is God providing for you as he has been because he loves you. And he doesn't just give you gruel. He doesn't just give you like bland rice. I mean, there's sugar in the world. It's kind of exciting. There are Reese's blended mochas at Subterranean Coffee on 30th, south of North Park Way. And if you want one, I'll go there and meet you there and have one with you. Um, so food. Um, third, we also see this one, um, this is big. These last two are really big and they're deep. Like the more you think about them, the bigger they get. In Genesis 1, we see empowering delegation in the way God has made the world. There is empowering delegation. In the beginning, God seems to be the source of light. And yet, and he makes light on day one. It seems like it's the glory of his radiance that provides light. And then on day four, he makes the sun, the moon, and the stars. And they seem to be the ones that take over giving light. And so there's this delegation from the creator to what he has made to do, to provide light. Um, God delegates providing for his people and for humans um, to food and plants and animals, right? God delegates the leadership of the world. God delegates the cultivation of the world to human beings. And so God is a God who is empowering people and creation itself to make the world flourish. And so you can connect to God as you see these things in your life, as you see delegation, um, and then you can commune with God as you remember that we have a God who is powerful and yet he lifts us up to make us as people who are strong enough to rule and to lead in his image. That's a big deal. And then the fourth thing, and there's, I don't know, there's seven or eight other things that I had to cut. They're laying on the cutting room floor behind me. Um, so frustrated. I want to tell you so many more things. But um, with the other thing we see in Genesis 1 is we see multiplying life as a characteristic of the world that we live in. Everything that is alive multiplies. Everything that is alive multiplies and it creates more things like itself. 
So the plants have seed after their own kinds. The birds multiply after their own kinds. Human beings are told to be fruitful and multiply, and we create more and more human beings, right? And so God has made things not just to be alive, but to multiply their life so that their life becomes life-giving. That's important. The more you think about that, the more profound it will become in your life because God has made you not just to be alive, but to make you life-giving. The, the life that you have now, God wants you to multiply it, not just by having babies, right? That's not true for all of us, right? He wants you to multiply the life and the love and the joy and the hope and the strength that is in you into others, In the church, we call this discipleship, where you pour who you are into someone else, where you learn from them and they learn from you and together you become more, right? That you pass on the experiences, sometimes the great experiences, sometimes the really hard experiences to other people so that they have the strength and the wisdom that they need so that they can flourish. God made it to be this way. Um, and when you see the seed in Genesis 1, when you see the multiplying life after its own kind, it really does set you up to see something in Genesis 3 that tells the story of the gospel. Because in Genesis 3, after, the, the, after Satan comes in and tempts and sort of declares war on God and then gets human beings to side with him against God, God makes this promise. God works to undo the curse that comes because of sin. And he tells the serpent, he says, I'm going to put, I'm going to make a war between you and the human beings. I'm going to create war between you so that they're going to fight against you. So I'm going to put war between you and the woman and a war between your seed and her seed. And God says, you, Satan, you will crush his heel, but the seed of the woman will crush your head. And that war between the seed of humanity and the seed of the serpent, the seed of the devil, has been playing out throughout history. And it climaxed in the cross of Jesus. Jesus was ultimately the seed of the woman, virgin born, right? Virgin born. Uh, seed of the woman who then did war with the devil and the devil crushed his heel, dealt him a blow um, on the cross and yet Jesus rose triumphant in his resurrection and has crushed the power of the devil so that we as his followers can walk in new life, so that we can be set free from the power of our own sin, so that we can see out there not just a creator God who is powerful, but we can commune with the God who has become our heavenly father, who cares deeply for us and who is with us in the good times and the bad. This is the joy of the gospel and how the gospel helps us to see this multiplying life. And so we are fruits. Christians are fruits of the multiplying life of Jesus and anyone, all of you who are here and aren't Christians, we're inviting you to take part in Jesus' multiplying life. You can do that by confessing your sins and committing to follow him. And so, 
So this is what to do this week. See the sun, the rain, the birds, the ocean. Look for order from chaos. Enjoy your food. Realize you've been empowered by a God who delegates authority to you. Um, and then spread this multiplying life. Um, there's a couple of other practical things you can do that we've put here on this insert that's in your bulletin. Um, just to summarize them, like, let um, me give you just a few more things to make it abundantly practical. So, number one, this week, go outside. Go outside. Go for a walk, go for a hike, go to the beach, watch the sunset, watch the stars. Two, go to a museum. You know that Balboa Park has museums that are free every Tuesday, and it's a different set of museums? Guess which museums are free this week. Really? <laughs> I think, well, I looked it up, and actually, the two, two of the museums that are free this week are the Reuben H. Fleet Science Center and the Natural History Museum. These are two museums that just happen. I'm sure it's a coincidence. I'm sure God had nothing to do with it. Um, they just happen to be the two museums that really you can go and see the creator in his creation. Um, so go to museum. And then third, see God through his image bearers. Okay? And what this means is see how people who are made in God's image have made things that reflect God's character. So when you're driving in, wherever in is, like, I see buildings and I realize that, man, people are amazing creatures. Like God has made us and given us an amazing amount of wisdom and technology. I mean, like for us to figure all this stuff out. So be free to see God in his image bearers. And then last, go on the church hike. We're going on a hike. So if you completely waste this entire week and don't do anything on Saturday, go with us, Stonewall Peak. Um, and do the hike with us, and then enjoy God's creative work expressed through the chefs that make Julian apple pie, right? Because that counts too. That counts too. So. Um, so I hope you're encouraged. I hope your mind has been blown. I hope that I've like downloaded this way of thinking into your brain so that you have this app now that you can just turn on. Um, let's do this together, and let's enjoy God as we do it. Pray with me. Father, thank you for revealing yourself and teaching us who you are through what you've made. Uh, thank you for being an artist. So much of what we love, um, you've intentionally put here as expressions of your love to us. And so help us, God, to see you in what, what you've made this week. Help us to share what we've seen and what we learn with others so that we might experience you directly and in community. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to receive our offering next. And so if you're going to be giving, please prepare your gifts uh, before the ushers come. Um, if you want to give online, you can do that. The, the instructions for doing that are on the screen. Um, but again, I want you to start thinking this way. What are you going to do this week? Start writing down a list of the things that you're going to do so that you can, ex you can connect to God and commune with him. And then uh, remember, if you have a connection card, fill this 